Welcome, my dystopians. I'm Raul Guerrero, and you are listening to the Dystopian Republic. Today's story begins on the afternoon of March 4th, 1995. All was sunny and peaceful in the declared capital of Lobotown. The brightness and quiet was highly ironic considering that the Black Hornets had Meseta del Cielo surrounded. Dressed or suited in angelic white, Lobotowners packed into a palatial house of prayer. A bilious fear of dying soured what was supposed to be one of Christianity's most precious ceremonies. Dean Malio Sr. and his wife Joyce sat on the front row with Dina Turnbull and Mosley. Their daughter's friends were with their families in the rows behind them, and so were the Cavas and Mingos, including Jansen Cava Sr. himself. The grandpa was the godparent of Dean Jr., who was just blessed with the responsibility of being the godfather of Alexa, Flood Jr., Clifford, and Sunshine. For Jansen and his godson, that baptism would be one of their last good times together. Sixteen years, two months, and three days into the future, life in Bromelia City went on as if that cloudless afternoon had never taken place. The shantytown that was Clemente beyond its historical significance served as a buffer between its uber-wealthy successor and West Clemente, a hilly scatter of hovels where food was scarce, water was uncertain, and shelter was symbolic. Like East Hamilton, West Clemente too had once been a paradise, but unlike its counterpart from La Costa del Norte, it was one that crossed in yellow. The town didn't have a wealthy elite that gated itself from the wider citizenry. Many outsiders saw the privation as karma serving its people right and hoped that every bite made them wretch. The sky dimmed to a stormy gray that drizzled on the rotting and rusting dwellings. One such hovel was having much of its interiors bedewed by the rain's pitter-pattering. A spot that was spared of the precipitation was what remained of a queen bedroom. Jansen rested inanimately tucked into his well-worn bed with his grandkids around him. His cotton white hair was so weak that it was good as burnt, and his octogenarian dermis was in close proximity to that frail condition. Even though Jansen appeared overweight, his excess mass was the skin his body created to support his former obesity. The hand Sunshine had over her mouth underlined how much his life mattered to her smothering her with a vulnerability she hasn't felt in a long while. She was in tears over what Jansen's last years of life had reduced him to, a hounded critter who paid the price to spare himself 
of the mass opprobrium that fell on people like him. Clifford was stuck between the mourning he was in and his hunger for a retaliation that bled people out and got off to their screams in pain. He bore witness to the lopsided beatdowns Jansen endured and the taking away of what little his grandpa had. Clifford wanted his attackers to know what his suffering was like and how it made him feel. Flood had compassion for Jansen, but found his death to be a pity that would make even the biggest apologist recoil. All the odious things his grandfather was credibly accused of orchestrating or taking part in made being at his side in public a sapping chore. Flood knew that Jansen had done too much to be worthy of any type of redemption. The silver lining Alexa saw in her grandpa's death was that he was now free and so were her cousins and herself. At times she wished that Jansen was imprisoned as that would have lessened his suffering considerably and cleared his conscience. His death left her and her cousins with the task of unlocking his safe and fulfilling his last wishes. But before the cousins did that, they felt obligated to give Jansen a proper burial. Alexa and Flood struggled to keep it together as they dug up a hole that was large and deep. Clifford and Sunshine went through the same struggle covering Jansen in blankets to create the idea of a casket. When Alexa and Flood finished digging, they helped the other two carefully carry their grandfather and lower him into the hole. Sunshine thanked Jansen for being her shelter and a father every girl would kill to have. Flood said thank you to him for standing strong and staying stoic when he could not. Alexa expressed her thanks to Jansen for keeping her mental toughness in tip-top shape. Clifford swore on his life to do everything conceivable to make sure his grandpa's death was not in vain, making his cousins break in a sweat that reeked of dread. After burying Jansen, the cousins ventured through a backyard that was more overgrowth than ground, their apprehension pumping faster with each step forward. They entered a shed and moved around its clutter to reveal a trap door. Alexa and Flood lifted it open and led Clifford and Sunshine down the stairs and into an empty basement. The safe sitting before them conjured up all the pain and destruction that transpired during the 17 years they've been alive. It made them think of all the lives that were used and abused only to be chomped up and spat out like sticks of gum. Alexa unlocked the safe, revealing 90 hundreds, cans of mace, ready to make meals, drink mix packets, distilled waters, a small box, and lengthy will. Clifford wondered where all the guns and ammo were, and Sunshine didn't get why Jansen would put 
non-perishable groceries in a safe of all places. The cousins grabbed their grandpa's will and were knocked for six at what they read. Jansen told his grandkids that if they were reading this, he was dead and buried and that his spirit was on its knees begging God for his forgiveness. The way he started, his will already had the cousins freeze up, eye widen, eyebrow dagger or gasp in a gasp. Jansen wrote that his grandkids must be wondering why a man like him would begin his will with such a compunctious tone. His reason was to tell them that he was humbly sorry for grooming them into following in his yellow-jacketed footsteps. Jansen called himself a monster who let his lust for power and control corrupt everyone he laid eyes on. He acknowledged that his wrongdoings and those committed by his former comrades will lead some of their victims to destroy themselves or other people. Jansen lived his years after the Bailey Burke trials swamped in a guilt. He was too much of a coward to confide in anyone, including his own grandkids. He described his rotting away as serving him right for the atrocities he committed in the name of making Bromelia exceptional again. Jansen restated how terrible of a person he was, but for raising his grandchildren the way he brought up his sons and daughters. The version of him the cousins saw was proud of the beige shirts and brown pants they wore during their many battles with Austin, Andre, Arlo, and Avery. But in private, Jansen was guilt-ridden over the inhuman brutes his grandkids were becoming. His soul wanted Alexa, Flood, Clifford, and Sunshine to do good for society, but his mind believed that the Yellow Cross would rise again. In a way, Jansen felt like he had to make sure his kids were ready to fight and die for the cross, seeing how it still influenced the right wing the same way the people's colony still struck a chord with the left wing. He regretted stealing the jackal-furred boots he had the cousins wear since they hit puberty, saying that the footwear put their corruptings into overdrive. All Jansen could do now was stop his grandkids from crossing the point of no return he stepped over long ago, segueing to the wishes he wanted them to honor. He wanted the cousins not to exact revenge on anyone regardless of how severely they've wronged him or them. The food and drink he provided had the purpose of giving them the nourishment to make the walk into the Spesvia grocery store in Clemente apply for jobs and get to work under Saffron Maretto's direction. As for the money, it was meant to support them up until they cash in their first paychecks. Jansen wrote that the cousins were bound by the wing he took them under to grant his every wish. He warned them that to not honor his wishes would be to dishonor him 
and take every sacrifice he made for them for granted. Jansen provided the cousins the map they needed to get to the grocery store in question. He wrote that they'll someday thank him and feel blessed that his wishes were what they were. Jansen ended his will by telling the cousins that he loved them and will always be with them spiritually, saying goodbye for the final time. The cousins were speechless at what he wrote, that will being nothing like what they expected. Alexa felt a relief that broke a bright smile out of the darkness that was her frown. She was worried that Jansen's will would compel her to choose between counterattacking to honor his wishes or moving on with her life at the expense of the Kava family name. Her grandpa's final goodbye made the idea of resting better a little more feasible. Clifford was in a strop that broke and piled onto and into itself like rubble after a tornado. He was more than ready to use his skills in the slicing and tying arts to avenge the terrible things other people would do to Jansen and him. Clifford knew his grandpa obligated him not to pursue any reprisals, but also understood that not punishing the wrongdoers went against the Yellow Cross's teachings with regard to Lex Talionis. Flood and Sunshine were stuck in between how he and Alexa felt about what Jansen wished for. Part of them loved that their grandpa wanted them to build lives outside of the Yellow Cross or whatever continued where it left off. But the ties they had with many who still subscribed to its credo made them afraid of the repercussions that could come their way should they denounce the very ideology that brought them up. Alexa took stock of the map's directions and asked her cousins what they were waiting for, saying that they've got a long journey ahead of them. She walked a decameter forward, looked back, and saw that only Flood was following her, seeing Sunshine look forebodingly at her, then back at Clifford's grim, slow shake of his head. Alexa blurted out an OMG and told him not to tell her that he was thinking of dishonoring Jansen. Clifford asked her if she forgot that the Kavas swore loyalty to the Yellow Cross and not Jansen. Alexa dismissed that oath as a relic of the past, saying that it's why they, Flood, and Sunshine have no one but each other. Disagreeing strongly, Clifford yelled that the United Appealers and People Partiers were responsible for turning their lives to excrement. Sunshine timidly backed him up, asking where the hell society was when they begged for help. Alexa pointed out that not once did either of them ask to be helped because they were of the belief that all was fine. Flood said that it wasn't like the movement they swore loyalty to assisted them financially or emotionally, adding that if they cared as much as they claimed to, neither they nor Jansen would be living rough. Clifford didn't like his tone, threatening to make someone's death his fault 
if he did not shut up. Alexa demanded that Clifford and Sunshine look at the terrible states they're in, saying that their hate and cruelty put them in rock bottom. Flood asked where all the great yellow jacket wearers were, answering that they're all dead, in prison, have nothing or shadows of their former selves. He made sport of the nerve the Yellow Cross had in calling themselves the ultimate nationalists. If Flood didn't have a thick skin, he'd call such an identification as contemptible as an adult molesting a small child, feeling a spring in his heart pop. Clifford charged at him, jolting Sunshine into restraining and telling him not to do it, and that it wasn't worth it. Bracing for a bloody fist fight, Flood returned to his senses when Alexa stood in front of him, ready to restrain him at the slightest move forward. Sunshine's holds were Clifford's message that she wasn't letting him go, mellowing his ire to a fuming, panting scowl. He asked Flood how he could dare equate such valiant warriors to the ultimate betrayal, calling him a Bolshevist menage traitor for doing so. As badly as he wanted to beat Clifford's face in, he chose not to, refusing to stoop to his level and ruin any chance of Jansen's wishes being granted. Flood told him to call him what he wanted and said that it won't change a thing. Alexa called out Clifford for defecating on the best and likely only chance he'll have in being his own man. He screamed to her that day Flood and Sunshine were never their own people and that society won't ever let them put down roots. Alexa asked Clifford how he could be so certain about that if he's never even tried planting a seed. He became upset at her for making it sound like it was as simple as one, two, three. Alexa said that it kinda was easy considering that there were literally four jobs waiting for them. Clifford asked what made her think that Saffron would want anything to do with people like them, Flood and Sunshine. Alexa was unable to answer his question, but surmised that she was someone who Jansen wanted to be, but couldn't. Clifford yelled that Saffron betrayed the Maretos, how Flood was about to stab their bloodline in its back. Flood channeled the offense he took to his comment in a single teeth-clenching grunt. Alexa told Clifford to quit calling him that, pointing out the mom jeans he stole from that fashionista chick in Bromelia City, the ones he's currently wearing. Sunshine specified how that same woman got her boyfriend to tear his only pants to shreds, calling that theft a well-deserved lecture on what it's like to be violated. Alexa asked her how what she and Clifford did to that young couple could remotely be called a lesson. Sunshine was aghast to hear her say that, recalling that she and Flood also took part in what ended up going down that early spring day in 2010. Clifford told her not 
to project that incident in a gravely harmful light because that couple did not have a scratch or out-of-place hair to show for it. Alexa was trying to say that what happened then can't be taken back, but that did not give her and her cousins the right to perpetually add to the pile. Sunshine responded that compounding was the only thing that's ever brought them any specks of justice, adding that they either had to aggravate or let the pain tear their souls limb from limb. Clifford demanded that Alexa and Flood look at the boots going up their legs. He made sure they got the full picture of who the F they were, the booted jackals, four cousins who have attacked every different person who's crossed their path. Clifford called Alexa naive for thinking that they could take their boots off like nothing ever happened, pushing Sunshine to call them herself and flood-marked people. That got the cousins thinking about the bridges they made, understanding what could come to them should they burn them away. Alexa then realized that she and her cousins hadn't used or seen them since they were run out of Bromelia City in June 2009. She wailed for Clifford and Sunshine to face the fact that those Yellow Cross S-words were no longer in their mother effing lives. Alexa yelled that those bridges have cut them and everyone in West Clemente off. The fact that she and her cousins were nothing to the Yellow Cross broke out her sadness, a feeling that lasted mere seconds thanks to the fresh start she had in her hands. That was enough for Sunshine to side with Alexa and allowed Flood to double down on where he stood, and it even dealt more than a few cracks to Clifford's resolve. However, that mindedness still had enough fight in it to not step out of the path it was on. Clifford grabbed his head and shut his eyes as his brain was overcome by a pain that would not go away. He stepped out of the basement and shed, looked at the raining sky, fell to one knee and teared up. His cousins rushed outside and were crushed to see him hit a low they thought wasn't possible for him to fall to. Clifford thought it was so unfair that the Palencias were able to improve their lives while he and his cousins only saw their fortunes get worse. Just before his phone got shut off, he saw his hooded robin foes use their Pricep accounts to flaunt their happiness and how well off they were. Even though that lashed Clifford's psyche into a swollen mass, it would be a nuisance compared to what he would endure with Jansen next. Four days earlier, they were hunting for skunks to cut up and eat when four rich kids from Clemente ambushed them. Since they were attacked 
in an abandoned sewer. They could not run, hide, or scream for help loud enough for anyone to hear. Clifford was pinioned and forced to watch the kids kick and punch Jansen unabatedly. His screams for the attackers to stop were met with mocking cries, giving him his share of the cuts and bruises that Jansen was getting. Clifford wasn't fooled by his grandpa's discernible numbness to the strikes, ripping his body up like notebook paper. He could feel the suffering that Jansen was going through, reminding him of how a death row prisoner would scream in their heads as their sentence was being carried out. Those beatings weren't anything new for Clifford or Jansen, having been through them time and time again and watching Alexa, Flood, and Sunshine do the same. What made the last attack they endured together uniquely terrible was how bad it got. The fact that it went on and on and what it caused after it was over. The pain of the injuries Clifford sustained far exceeded how bad they actually were. Jansen, on the other hand, was having physical trauma dealt to him that matched the damage being done to his body. An agonizing ten minutes passed before the attackers abruptly stopped their beating when they heard people meandering outside. Their run for it turned Clifford's attention to his and Jansen's injuries. He was in a pain so dire that his insides almost made him cry like a grade school kid. But when Clifford saw Jansen struggle to move, that was when he screamed above the top of his lungs, bringing Alexa, Flood, and Sunshine to the scene double quick. The attackers were out of sight before any of the Kavas could see or chase after them. Alexa and Flood placed Jansen on a wheelbarrow as Clifford sucked his injuries up to help take his grandpa home and nurse him back to health. At first, the cousins thought that their grandfather had only been bruised up as nothing stuck out of his skin or appeared broken. But as hours went by, Jansen was never able to regain his mobility or find relief in his pain. Even on his deathbed, he maintained that his deteriorating well-being was due to old age and not something caused by the beating. The cousins pretended to believe everything he said, despite having no doubt in their mind that the attack shortened his lifespan. Clifford conjectured that Jansen had various broken bones and fractures, and that he died due to the fat embolisms that formed and laid waste to his blood vessels. His grandfather's decline wasn't immediate nor steep, starting off with dull aches that leaned in and out of his preceptual radar. In the hours leading up to his last breath, Jansen's respiratory, nervous, circulatory, and all his other systems tipped over and crashed like a line of dominoes. That took Clifford to the conclusion that the attackers effectively murdered his grandpa. It didn't matter to him whether or not they initiated the attack with the intention to end 
Jansen, Clifford believed that his grandfather would have lived longer and died more contentedly had he not been attacked that afternoon. He felt responsible for shortening Jansen's life, wishing that he was the one who died of the embolisms and not his grandfather. Alexa screamed at Clifford to stand the hell up from his maximal gloom, calling it an insult to the grief she, Flood, and Sunshine were also dealing with. That washed his misery down at the speed of toilet water pushing up slightly and circling into the drain. Clifford responded that Jansen wasn't anything to him anymore at a vocal mode that was deadpan yet unrelenting. His unwanted desire to beat himself up saddened him into repeatedly saying that the attack was his and Jansen's fault and that they both deserved it. Sunshine yelled that only the attackers were at fault and that neither he nor Jansen had it coming, calling the attack murderous one and a half times over. Given what the attackers did, Flood thought it was highly unlikely that he or his cousins would ever see them again. He added that there would be no point in trying to find them because their connections would probably disappear them to some obscure place. Alexa promised Clifford that karma will make sure those kids suffer dearly for murdering Jansen and have Satan reserve an especially painful place for them to burn in. She stated that he'll begin to get better when he declares his independence from his past. Alexa stopped Clifford from talking back by telling him not to think for a second that she, Flood, and Sunshine weren't grateful for what Jansen did for them because they were far beyond what he could imagine. She exclaimed that their grandpa made their cousinly union possible and he'll be why it will live till and to kingdom come. Alexa's words wiped the sad, angry water off of the cracked-up windshield that was Clifford's heart, standing him up and taking his cousins into the warmest, tightest, and most passionate hug they've ever sunk into, no other coming remotely close. The rain's dissipation and sun's return brightened Clifford into telling his cousins that now marked the start of the rest of their lives. He went as far as taking the lead Alexa had intended to assume, taking her map and starting their walk to Spesvia and Saffron. High on his newly found optimism, Clifford dissociated his mind from the poverty that was assaulting his cousins' resolves. He stayed laser-focused on the future he wanted to have, one of happiness, prosperity, and autonomy. Clifford didn't allow himself to give the privation all around him so much as a glance. His cousins grew dreary at how far they were from being alone when it came to the situation they were walking out of. Alexa knew that what Jansen wished for wasn't the norm as others of his kind 
died bitter, bounding their loved ones to that resentment. Flood feared for their souls and the lives of those who've mistreated them. He reflected on the comparison he made that set Clifford off, feeling disgusted with himself for saying such a repugnant thing. But Flood was no stranger to making comments that were less than tasteful, having been told to watch what he said as he had the kind of tongue that could get himself into trouble if it wasn't careful. Drinking their water, Clifford's cousins fought about a young teenage couple they used to spend lots of time with, Basilio and Ainara. They chose not to dwell on that chapter past its first sentence, thanks to the catastrophically bad note it ended on. The three of them asked God to either help Basilio and Ainara or have mercy on them. Stepping into the shanty town, the cousins looked back at West Clemente and all that went down within its so-called city limits. Their inner devils told them to turn back while they still could, while its angelic opposite urged them to keep going. The cousins tapped the evil's mouth shut while putting the good in the driver's seat. They walked through the wood, grass, brick, and concrete that crafted a setting that had a lot to do with what Bromelia would morph into. The cousins even considered taking a walk through the tavern at the center of it all, but kept walking unaware that the Palencia cousins had killed and buried Robbie the Fourth there. Their inner angels were glad to be in control at long last, but its demonic opposites were in tantrums reminiscent of scorned spouses. Seeing that the cousins' minds were made up, the devils urinated over them for being naive, holier-than-thou little b-words. They laughed at Alexa, Flood, Clifford, and Sunshine for thinking that they could ever escape who they were. The devils continually told the cousins that they were and will forever be their past, regardless of how hard they try to turn that fact into a falsehood. Surprisingly, their vocal spamming formed several weak spots in Alexa, Flood, Clifford, and Sunshine's resolves, making them have second thoughts. Nonetheless, the cousins continued through the shantytown into Clemente and onto the parking lot of the Spesvia grocery store, beholding the hope written all over it. The text used to spell the supermarket chain flowed and joined at the behest of the finest pen money could buy. Its white had the pureness and innocence of a newborn baby, augmented by the dreamy promise that hued its blue. The cousins walked to its front entrance and saw the help wanted sign on the window, signifying its willingness to hire immediately full-time and with union benefits. Having nothing to lose and everything to gain, they stepped inside 
ending an old chapter and starting a new one. Shoppers went about their business and assumed that they were just four more customers. That cover was the cousins' go-ahead to feel like kids in a candy shop who've saved up a whole school year's worth of allowance money. Walking up, down, and around the aisles, they were enthralled by the wide range of products that were a hand reach away at most. It had been over a year since they last stepped foot in a grocery store and hadn't bought a thing there for an even longer time. Asked by the cousins where they could apply for jobs, a stalker directed them to customer service where they met Saffron. She was ecstatic to see that Jansen's grandkids actually did what they were told to, handing them applications to fill out right away. Alexa wanted to work in the deli. Flood chose to be a stalker. Clifford signed up to work as a checker, and Sunshine applied for a position in courtesy. Saffron didn't bother to ask them for resumes, knowing that the cousins have never worked a day in their lives. She hired them the second they submitted their applications, welcoming them aboard. Saffron gave the cousins the keys to their new apartment and a printout with the directions needed to get there. She told them to report for training in their desired positions first thing the next morning, ordering them to clean themselves up and get a good night's rest beforehand. The cousins spent the remainder of their day washing and drying the year's worth of crud that made them look and smell like hell. Once that was done, they plopped their spotless, half-naked selves on top of one another on a king bed and fell into a heavy sleep. The second the night sky started to brighten, the cousins woke up like they were completely new people. They yawned, stretched, and paced around their apartment, reveling in its warm hum and functioning appliances. The clothes Saffron provided, polo-shirted, name-tagged, hatted, slacked, and loafed their dress to perfection. Looking at themselves and each other, the cousins could safely say that they've made it and will now prosper. Although the cousins were all in on their new jobs, their motives, aims, and end goals differed considerably. By no means was it the end of the cousins' run-ins with the Yellow Cross or People's Colony. In fact, their real battle had only just begun and was about to swarm out of a nest they've long been swinging away at and another they turned around and made a piñata out of with their denouncing sticks. Their departure from the worlds that protected or attacked them didn't mean that those spears were remotely close to being done with them. The angels in the cousins knew that it was a matter of when the devils would come back and not if. They watched over their hosts as they made the drive to the store and clocked in for the first time. Going into training, the cousins brushed aside the almost excessive easiness of their move from a shack 
that was a shelter in name only to an apartment with fresh food, running water, and electricity. They turned a blind eye to how they were merely the latest four to have a go at making and sticking with the decision of being their own people. But if history had anything to say, it was that the road the cousins were going down often ended with the independence they sought to have failing or being unable to materialize. It would either result in the renouncement being taken back or solidifying to where not even the hottest of flames could dent it. And as fate would have it, the cousins would soon feel that tug of war between their new ambitions and old tendencies. And that was the booted jackals. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to the story I just gave. Share this show with everyone you know. Make sure they share it with everyone they know. Check out my website at www.rss.com slash podcasts slash the dystopian republic. Send me your respectful questions and constructive feedback at Raul Guerrero Jr. 95 at gmail.com. And lastly, support the show via my PayPal at paypal.com slash paypal me slash Raul Guerrero Jr. On that note, I'm Raul Guerrero and come again for another gripping, thoughtful, and sinister episode of The Dystopian Republic. Thank you.